So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay, I hit record. Uh, Woo! <laughs> welcome to Feature Creep, colon. <laughs> Built-in microwaves, semi-colon. Uh, Mason bees? Uh, Mason bee, bees. Bee design? Bees in my fridge? Bees in your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so welcome to the podcast. Uh, this I am Ned and this is Meg. And we're going to talk about, um, loosely, we're going to talk about art and design. But I guess today, actually, we're going to talk about Mason Bees because Meg's been mm-hmm. itching to. Uh, but I have, it's, there's out. a lot of a design that goes into oh, this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Turns out. <laughs> Turns out, yeah. It's a feature of raising Mason Bees that yeah. most people don't convey adequately. And so then you get in over your head a little bit uh-huh. because. Well, it's not that it's so difficult to do. It's actually really easy to do. But there's a lot of people who don't understand it. And like most things, overcomplicated. They're overdoing it wrong. And so the internet is full of terrible advice and products designed to facilitate people having mason bees at their houses that are not suitable for mason bees to live in. Anyway, um, so there is quite like a heavy element of design in it. If you intend to interfere and like hijack their life cycle for them. And um, yeah, we can talk about that. But I, the reason it came up is because yesterday my nephews came to visit me. And while they were um, at my house, they compelled me to participate in the Spice Factory, which <laughs> yes. is them raiding my spice cabinet uh-huh. and mixing them all together into horrible concoctions and forcing me to taste test them and so as an incentive to end the spice factory for the day yeah i told them that i would show them my my bee cocoons my hibernating bee cocoons if they were willing to put the spice factory to rest and so they did <laughs> <laughs> and i showed them my bee cocoons <laughs> so they also are very fascinated by my worm farm oh that's cool yeah yeah, and the worms were very active yesterday because I fed them all kinds of soggy oh, apple. Nice, nice. And so they were like swarming on the apple. So when I pulled the lid back to show the nephews yeah. the worms, there were many. Oh, like of you had like a big, like a I forget, like a worm a, ball, a worm ball, like a big yeah. mass of writhing wriggly worms. That's so awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're captivated. Uh, my younger nephew, yeah, is a little bit more interested in the worms. I think from he's just totally blown over that I have worms living in a box in my house. <laughs> so awesome! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we looked at the worms and we looked at the bees, and then I thought, oh, yeah, I've done a lot of research lately about these bees, mm-hmm. and I kind of like fumbled my way through the first season with them, yeah, like making all the mistakes, right? Uh, and I was still successful anyway. So it's not that big a deal, but yeah. you're dealing with living creatures. And so if you're going to like put your hands all over their processes, you should at least have some respect for those processes yeah. and try not to interfere with them too much or replicate them as accurately as possible right? so right. that you're not derailing their existence entirely. So like, here's what I'm, here's what I'm up to. I got 90 bees sleeping in my fridge. Wow. Okay. Yes. Taking and a little, is... little fridge nap. They're taking a little fridge nap. They're fully grown, but they're in their hibernating state until springtime when they um, have food to eat. And the males will hatch first, and they're in tiny cocoons, and then the females will hatch a little bit after the males. And the males will mate with the females, and then they will die (laughs) basically right away. (laughs) Completely superfluous. And then uh, the female bees, who are solitary nesting bees, they handle all of their own stuff. Yeah. They will fly off and immediately start collecting pollen and nectar and eating it and packing it into these reeds, like lake reeds that I give them yeah. as a place for them to live. And the whole thing uh, is the reed is like six inches long mm-hmm. and it's got a backer like it's the, it's not. It's not like a straw where there's holes on both ends. Gotcha. Yeah. One end of the reed is sealed off at a knuckle of the reed yeah. and the bees will pack in some pollen and then lay an egg on it and build a mason wood or a mason um, mud wall Mm -hmm. 
and then they'll put more pollen in and lay another egg on it and build another wall and put another like, pollen in and another egg and put a wall. And they do that like nine or 10 times in the space of six inches. Oh, wow. And the ones all the way to the back yeah. are the the future females and the ones all the way to the front of the future males. So when they hatch first, they exit first. Yeah. And then the females come out afterwards. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. So these little bees yeah. um, are 95% efficient at efficient at pollinating so when they land on a flower they will they will pollinate it 95 percent of the time oh wow and as opposed to like a european honeybee which everyone is obsessed with and this is what i'm gonna get at yeah in a minute the european honeybees only pollinate five percent of the blossoms that they land on because they're surgical workers they are super super fastidious about collecting pollen and sticking it in these little like like sacks on their legs yeah like little like, like little backpacks yeah and they carry it off to their hive and they only visit just so many flowers every day because they get what they need every time they land. Like they right. really precise about it. Right. They're but very efficient the, at making honey and collecting yes, pollen. Like super efficient excellent, at it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent at it. But a side effect of them doing this is that crops get pollinated or plants or whatever. Right. And like it's only when the honeybees fuck up that they pollinate flowers. Gotcha. Right. When they're so, like a little drunk or run down and then they're like, oh, yeah. fuck, I fucked it. A little, little <laughs> loose. <laughs> so these mason bees, these orchard mason bees, and then there's also leaf cutter bees and sunflower bees and a bunch of, there's like 4,000 different species of yeah. native bees that are solitary nesting bees. They live on their own. They do all their own work. There's no hive. They don't have stingers because there's no honey to defend. Right. And and they don't have a hive to defend either. So um, they really actually are very docile with people. When they come out of their little house in the morning, mm-hmm. they need sunshine because their bodies have to be at least 55 degrees to fly. And uh, the air temperature can be colder, but they need sunshine to warm themselves up so that they can take off. And right. if you go out on a cold morning and you put your hand out, they'll come and sit on your hand to warm up. Oh, that's awesome. How cute is that? Yeah. So they're super adorable. Yeah. The orchard bees are, uh, they're named Osmia lignaria, and they have these big jaws that they scrape mud up with that they turn into the walls inside of their little chambers. Mm-hmm. And um, they only live for about six weeks, but they pollinate like thousands and thousands of blooms whereas honeybees pollinate like hundreds yeah and so they're like orders of magnitude more um efficient with pollination and they uh pollinate like a super wide variety of stuff so they're really cool anyway i'm gonna put mine out when the daytime temperature is around 55 degrees and i there's like triggers that i can look for or like signals Uh and signs for example if i if i spot dandelions open that's a good indicator that the weather is suitable for the bees as well. Um, you can put them out and they will hatch before any food is available for them. And then they will fly away somewhere and maybe die. Wow. <laughs> Com- completely unsuccessfully. Yeah. Yeah. So it's when just I, a... I, I kind of think I jumped the gun this last year. Yeah. Because I like put them out too that, soon or something or. Yes. Because there just wasn't quite like, so I have a mini orchard in my yard. I have, um, three apple trees and a cherry tree and a sugar maple Mm -hmm. and all of those bloom in the early spring and the bees are really there for that kind of stuff the the orchard bees the mason bees and i put them out because sometimes it can take a while for them to hatch like it may take up to a week or two for them to hatch and i put mine out and they were like immediately hatched interesting and I was like, shit, yeah. there's not enough food here for them. So I had to go and I bought like hordes of nectar <laughs> bearing flowers so uh-huh. that they would have sustaining food and brought them back. This is the other thing. they ha- You have to give them food to eat that is also stuff that they can pass on to their like eggs. And so they need nectar and pollen. Yeah. They need the nectar for themselves to keep going and they need the pollen for their eggs. And so you need to make sure that you have the right types of plants around to feed them and support them and if you are like me you did not quite exactly understand this and were worried that you were going to put them out too late right right and then and then they wouldn't hatch for two weeks and like the flowers would bloom and then it would be i don't know i didn't know i was so worried and i sort of jumped the gun and then i was like oh shit and as soon as i did it i immediately realized (laughs) my mistake yeah right like oh god (laughs) and so um (coughs) so uh why i'm advocating 
for these bees is that um, they're really helpful in your own garden at home if mm-hmm. you want to grow stuff so that you're not super dependent on like food supply coming from far off places. Sure. If you live in a place where you can do that, we live in Minnesota. Yes. So it's yeah. like Minneapolis is pretty cold. And uh, I, while I've been thinking about building a four season greenhouse that would work even at our latitude and in our temperatures, um, I don't have one yet. Mm-hmm. And so my growing season is pretty short and I want to get as much out of it as I can. And I also want to help support the population of bees. And so I have taken the, uh, I've undertaken the quest <laughs> to raise these bees at my house and then help other people do so. And so what I'm aiming at is having enough of them and getting good enough at this that I can offer my services to people who have orchards or home gardens or farms and say, I will come out, I will do a site evaluation, I will post up the bees, I will monitor them and take care of them during the season, and I will take them away at the end. And you won't get anything from me other than, like, you know, a lot of times farmers contract with people who have honeybees and they bring the hives out and then they get honey at the end too. Right. And it's like they see this as this like value added thing that justifies paying for the bees. And I'm like, yeah, but like the bees kind of pay for themselves because especially with these orchard mason bees or the leaf cutter bees or the sunflower bees, which yeah. are generalists and will pollinate any any kind of flower or crop. Yeah. Um, they cover all the way from like April, May to like October oh. in terms of the growing season. Yeah. And when they pollinate, you get yields that are like three times as large as you would get with with honeybees pollinating. Right, because they're so much more they're they're so much right. crappier at collecting pollen <laughs> slash right. better at pollinating. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. And the reason for that is they have this like they're very furry. They're like super fuzzy bees. They kind gotcha. of remind so me of just, bumblebees. Yeah. Just like but their hair is like all over in every direction. Gotcha. They look kind of like yeah. I don't know, like a little static puffball. And um when they land on flowers, the pollen gets stabbed by these hairs and it works its way down in between the hairs, like hairs in a hairbrush. Right, right. And so all the pollen acts like the hair and their body acts like the hairbrush and the pollen gets embedded in these bristles on their body. And when they fly away, they're like covered in pollen. Right, right. And so they collect what they need for themselves, but they like belly flop on the flowers and like this <laughs> pod, this cloud of pollen flies into the air uh-huh. and it goes everywhere and it gets all over them. And then they cross pollinate all these flowers because they're just like super duper messy yeah. and, and clumsy and it works out really well for everybody. So... um yeah, they're much better. If your goal is to have crops at the end of the season and your goal with acquiring bees of any kind is to pollinate those crops, then you are much better off doing it with mason bees and other solitary nesting bees than you are with honeybees. Right, right. Because you will achieve your objective easier and to a greater degree. Um, the honeybees, because they're not really meant to like be broad spectrum pollinators like they're being used for in agriculture run into kinds of the kinds of problems that we're seeing with like colony collapse and the mites and all these things that because this conditions in that are necessary to place the bees in to pollinate crops are really not great for honeybees to be in it's very stressful Mm -hmm. it's not their ideal conditions and so like when you like i said when you're trying to interrupt the life cycle of these creatures you can't just expect them to do a hard turn and behave in ways they wouldn't normally behave or function well in environments they wouldn't normally function well in. Right. And so when you're pushing honeybees to pollinate a bunch of crops rather than focusing on making honey, it's there that's not you're using the wrong tool. I see. I see. And I am I am learning this more and more and because I give a shit about ethics and in specific non-human species ethics, I feel like honeybees are having this terrible disservice done to them because they're being misused for something that's really harmful for them. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't actually really solve the problem for the people using them in the first place. And so I'm kind of like on this little crusade at this point to like evangelize mason bees as an alternative to honeybee hives for agriculture Mm -hmm. and see if I can push this issue. There's a lot of agriculture in Minnesota. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are some people who have like really small organizations here who are doing this, but like 
I mean, my my goal is not to become some kind of like corporation or monolith or something like that. Sure. I just don't know that anybody's really doing it for more than like a hobby thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking there's lots of room for advocacy here that maybe isn't already going on. I don't know. So I, I know that there are other companies who rent out their solitary bees in other places and it's picked up. It seems to be a lot more popular in some other places than it is here yet. Um, and so I know that other companies have really successful business models for like making profits doing this and being able to like do this for their work. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, support a, yeah. support somebody just doing this as a job and not as a side hobby or something. So I'm really excited about doing it. And I think I'm going to try and use like the work that I'm doing in my graduate studies program to like bolster this. Yeah. No, that's cool. That's a great yeah. idea. So yeah, I have all these bees and, they're going to hatch and then hopefully because I have modified my landscape and the availability of food for them and also because I am a little bit more skilled and not such a klutz at this this year, mm-hmm. I will I will wait a little bit until a couple of things are evident in my landscape. My trees have buds on them. Right. The right. dandelions have opened. And then I'll put the bees out and then hopefully they won't, half of them won't fly away to look for a more suitable place to live. Right, right. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, like all of these, all of these creatures would live in the landscape and do live in the landscape. You can trap wild bees yeah. and start from there if you want. I got mine from a lady who lives near me on the other side of the Twin Cities from me. Interesting. Um, and she has a little business and um, mostly sells to like individual people, but sometimes does like education stuff and will go out and um, set up bee houses for people and, and agricultural stuff too. And so I, I think she's into it, but she mostly is like older and kind of semi-retired. And so I know she's not like on the front end of the thing. I got you. Sure. So, um, yeah, I think it's really exciting. And well, also, uh, I mean, any good business, it's like you, you want, more people doing it like it's not right you know yeah exactly it's not you know it's all fine and good to be the only one but it's much better if there's other like it's like the starbucks model right it's like they put Mm -hmm. everybody out of business so they started creating competition for themselves by putting more stores up because they knew that drove up coffee consumption Right. Um, not that I'm arguing that that's like <laughs> necessarily a good thing, um, you know, but my point is like, at least from a very basic business point of view, like more people doing this thing is better. Like, you know, yeah. at least early days, you know, and, and this idea of like competition being fierce is not always not always what it seems anyway well and i'm just kind of like i would love to research and find out why honeybees were chosen as like the solution to the problem of like a lack of pollinators like it's just such a bad solution right like whose idea was this why did this catch on and why is this like the status quo it's like you're trying to smash a square peg into a round hole using european honeybees for crop pollination yeah like raise them if you want honey and then we can even get into the like ethical arguments of like stealing honey from bees sure yeah but i am not going to do that now but like you know it's i don't even know that using them to suit purposes human purposes is even like valid but um there is a company who is making synthetic honey that is molecularly identical to real honey and you can't tell the difference and they're doing with synthetic biology really how fucking cool is that That's super cool that's really interesting i should find that i can't remember where i found them uh i think let's see here i'm googling googler googlers get on the googlers ah it's called meli bio meli bio interesting m-e-l-i-b-i-o.com meli bio is plant-based honey made without bees our patent pending product will be available in the U.S. this year. So the so the mason bees, um, I'm just reading on Wikipedia, and mm-hmm. 
so they fall into the genus of Osmia, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, but there's like greater than 300 species of mason. Yeah. Deer, which is pretty They nuts. are adapted to live in every fucking condition, basically, on the planet. Like, they are everywhere. And what kind do you have there? Do you know? So I have Osmia lignaria, which is the black or blue orchard mason bee. Uh-huh. And then I also have... There's also wild bees in the in the landscape. So I have seen I have seen mason bees because I've seen bees gathering mud. Right. Not not wasps, but actual bees. Mm-hmm. Um we have sweat bees, which are these tiny little green bees. We have a lot of bees that look like flies. Yeah. And we have a lot of flies that look like bees. Um we have leaf cutter bees. So when I put out my my reeds the mason bees will only use reeds that are eight millimeters in diameter which is like the size of a, pen, like a number two pencil yeah um the leaf cutter bees use slightly smaller i think six millimeter tubes and then i had some teeny tiny lake reeds that i put out that were also filled in by native bees who i never caught a glimpse of interesting and can so, you like so when you put them in the fridge that's just to like maximize like you're trying to kind of maximize their um viability for next year by doing that yeah so they have a really interesting life cycle yeah. they for two weeks they're larvae and they sit in their little pod and they chomp down on the pollen and the stuff and they um they at the end of a couple of weeks they spin a cocoon around themselves okay and then at that point like that's kind of towards the end of their season or whatever and then you you take them and shelter them from outside because like for my purposes i want to ensure that as many as possible survive right right so this is where i interfere in the process i harvest all of the all of the baby bees in their tubes and I can tell which ones are in there because they seal up the end with a mud cap. So mm-hmm. any anyone that's sealed up is for sure filled up with bees. And then I also stick like a little a little um, not a Q tip a uh, chopstick. Okay. Down the reeds to see if it'll go all the way to the end of the reed. And if it doesn't, I know that that's a tube where they had started filling up. So there might be viable bees in there. Gotcha. And so I collect those too. And I put them all in a paper bag. And then I put them in my back hall in where it's warm, but it's not, it's obviously safe from like birds trying to eat them or it raining and them flooding out of the house or like, I don't know, getting struck by lightning, whatever. Right. Terrible calamity befalls my bees. Right. So in the house, what they're doing in there is they're basically turning from a little wormy looking thing into an adult bee. And it takes them until about October or November to do that. At that point, because I don't want them to run, they're little fat little bees. They have a lot of fat on their body from all of the pollen that they eat. Right. And so right. they're living off of their fat stores while they're hibernating until it's warm enough to to hatch and go back outside and start the new generation life cycle. Yeah. So I'm putting them in my fridge. Mm-hmm. Some people put them in like an unheated garage or something like that. I'm putting them in my fridge because I know they're held at a basically at an exact temperature and I can control the humidity because you need to keep them a little bit humidified. Mm-hmm. And um and I can decide exactly when the temperature is right to put them outside and so they're kind of in a state of suspended animation right now in my fridge gotcha gotcha and then when i've determined that it's safe to put them out i will put them out and i can even separate out the tiny male cocoons from the female cocoons and what i plan on doing this year is instead of sticking all 90 cocoons out there on day one i'll probably put a few of the males out and see how they do and a few of the females out and then i like a few days later i'll put some more of each and a few days later i'll put some more of each so that my hatching doesn't happen all at one time it happens over the course of several weeks long Mm -hmm. so that the season is staggered so that some bees will finish before other bees and some bees will continue later into the summer uh, and so I, I won't have to worry about an entire batch of bees only being around for about six weeks and maybe hitting or not hitting the same right. period of time that the blooms are all available. Right, right. So I'm kind of hedging my bets here a little bit and staggering my release date. And so I, I'm thinking that like in my life, I don't have a lot of rituals. Like I don't, I mean, I have daily rituals. Like I take a bath every fucking day. Sure. Like sometimes we sit in a sauna, things like this. But like, I don't have big life rituals. Like I don't really celebrate a birthday every year in a big way. I don't do holidays that other people celebrate sure. in any real way. And I'm thinking that the annual release of the bees is going to become like a thing. 
That's fun. That's a, I mean, that'd be a a party. Yeah. That'd be a fun party thing. I mean, that's also kind of a fun thing because that date is a little bit roaming, right? Like you're kind of like, and it's also a little bit like you can't plan too hard. You're like, you know, it's probably going to be within the month, but it's going to be hard to like set a hard date on that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So do you also leave some to be wild and just see how they do or like, because I'm just curious, like, you know, if you're always controlling their life cycle, then you're kind of creating a domesticated. Right. Or you're you're propagating a domesticated version, which I'm not, you know, I mean, it's something as humans, we've done this for, you know, time immemorial. I'm just curious about that crossover, right? Like where it's like, at what point are you? You know, like how, like, well, like you were talking about, like, it's like, how much or how little do you decide? And obviously, you know, putting them in the fridge and everything, uh, you, you can create this ideal situation where you really maximize a lot of pollinators, which is great. Um, but then also the question becomes like, you know, how, like, you know, I don't know, I guess like how much or how little, like how does one decide? Yeah where yeah. to make that decision so that's a really interesting question like i've wanted to i want to start keeping data so i'm gonna have to like figure out how to actually use spreadsheets in a realistic way like sure. a, like a comprehensive way yeah so that i can figure out how best to do this because i part of me wanting to loop this into what i'm doing at school is to like have a an opportunity to flesh it out even more yeah and um and the degree program that I'm working on right now, because I switched over from bioethics uh, over to a liberal studies program, is like this interdisciplinary, like do your own thing sort of situation. So right. I am focusing on liminalities as like my my whole deal. Yeah. And I think bees are like intensely liminal. And one problem people always have is like, well, how do you turn what you study at school into like some kind of practical thing in your life, which right. this is it. Like I, I'm really interested in all of the weird liminalities we're in and the ones that have overlap with bees are like very important. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. So, and bees have always been a really liminal character too. Like they're, um, they've been a symbol of the underworld since like forever. Oh, really? Since like ancient Greece. Huh. Like there's a whole thing about Persephone's bees in Greek mythology. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So I think they're such interesting characters and also like really, uh, really foundational to being able to survive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I think about that and it, uh, it, it gives me the kind of feeling like the, like, ah, as if you just suddenly <laughs> realized you were standing on the edge of a very steep cliff uh-huh. and we're like, Oh, and I'm right. just like, oh, don't, don't look down. Just keep pushing the bees, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, I think that there, um, there's, uh, there must be tons. Like I've told you about the European wool carter bees that we have in our yard. Yes. They're hyper aggressive, not to people, no, but to other creatures. Right. Right. <laughs> and they, like jealously guard clumps of flowers. They love my echinacea plants and yeah. I have them sort of planted in a ring around my um my patio. And so they fly a little formation, like a little pattern around my yard defending the echinacea plants from other creatures that would land on them and eat from them. So like Interesting. they they mostly leave butterflies alone. Yeah. But any type of other bee, including enormous bumblebees, they will kick off the flowers. Huh. If they find them, they're like bouncers at a club. Yeah. And they just show up every year on their own. I I believe they nest in the ground. I don't think that they're, they're cavity nesting bees, but I think they nest in the ground. I don't think they live like on Mm -hmm. the side of a building or in a hole in a tree or anything like that. Right. So I've never figured out where they go to when they're done being bullies on my patio. (laughs) Being double dicks. (laughs) They have such personalities and they're these kind of like, Blonde. They're not the standard like sharp black and yellow bee. Yeah. They're blonde colored and they're very furry and they're kind of like they're shaped like a little like a little sausage. How like they're funny. very blunt uh-huh. shaped. Um, they're not elegant bee shaped at all. And they like kind of hover and they it's very cute if the if somebody lands on their flower they will show up and be like oh somebody's here and they'll stop uh-huh. and they'll like 
cock back like they're lining up for a field goal <laughs> yes. and then they will zoom straight ahead and kick and like run into the butt of the animal that's on the flower How to get them to leave funny. they'll kick them right they literally smash into them to get them to leave and like it's cute because you can sort of see if you sit and observe yeah. that other creatures in the garden will wait until they're like okay they're gone like we have three seconds to get to that flower <laughs> right. get some shit and yes. get off before they show back up again and so they all rush in to like uh-huh get their fill and then get out of the way before the european wool carter comes back and every once in a while like an unsuspecting creature will come into the yard who doesn't know about this social order uh-huh. and will just like take their time and land on a flower and have a like run in with one of these bees how funny it's very cute very it's just, and they don't sting like they don't kill other creatures no they just, but they're like, they're very move aggressive them away yeah aggressively yeah and so the the male bees patrol the flowers and make way and kick all of the other bugs out of the way so that the female bees can come anytime they want and have just like direct access to their flowers that's funny Oh, yeah funny. it's so i know there's there's many different types of bees that were already in my yard yeah and when i gave them reeds to live in they they showed up that's how i got my leaf cutter bees and i wasn't planning on doing anything with leaf cutters the first year because i thought oh these mason bees might be as much trouble as i want to get into right and I, don't, I didn't right. want to i didn't want to overdo it and in effect like worsen my chances for these bees or make it difficult on them because of my own stupidity yeah so yeah. No, uh i, I didn't get in over my head and i didn't order any leaf cutters from this lady i know um but i the, the reeds were out and the leaf cutters just showed up on their own and so now i have a bunch of reeds full of leaf cutter baby bees too and those are in my basement in a windowsill because they need to be a little bit warmer than the fridge yeah. but not very warm and so they're just yeah in an unheated windowsill in my basement and they will they will come out in the summertime so mm-hmm. the leaf cutters come out like in june to july Okay. And the mason bees are like April, May, June, depending on how warm the April is. Right. Um, right. Usually like May 1st is the earliest that you'd even think about putting them out. And then the sunflower bees, which I have never heard of before this year, are very similar to leafcutter bees. And they're generalists as well. They'll pollinate anything with flower. And they are active in like later summer. Okay. So you can get like the full spread of with like if a you have of crops species. growing there's yeah. a bee that will pollinate it and i think i'm going to order some sunflower bees this year and put it out um put them out i'm going to grab my charger really quick because my, my computer just told me it's dying all right i will uh i'll just kind of talk about Stay the high. so um while meg gets the charger i will talk about the little blurb from wikipedia so if you're thinking about mason bees um it's so according to wikipedia an entry on mason bees um Mason bee is a name now commonly used for a species of bee in the genus Osmia, as we talked about. Um, They're basically, as Meg has already talked about, they're basically named for their habit of using masonry products to construct their nests, which are made naturally, um, occurring in the gaps between cracks and stones and small dark cavities. Um, Some species preferentially use hollow stems or holes in wood made by wood-boring insects. So they're kind of opportunistic in their nesting habits. Um, many of the species are frequently metallic green or blue, although many are blackish and at least one rust red. Um, most have black ventral scopiae, which are difficult to notice unless laden with pollen. Um, those are like the hairs. Um, and they have areole, areole, arolia between their claws. Um, and I don't know what that is. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. That is the, um, Ah, so that is the sort of, um, I, I don't know. It's some kind of like, I guess it's like kind of pinchers or something. Oh, um, let's see. Anyway, um, I was just kind of rambling about uh, yeah. the nature of, you know, some of the specifics about some kinds of mason bees. Um yeah, they I mean, there's so many of them and they ha- they all have sort of like, you know, they have the scope of for the pollen collecting the the hairy stuff on their tummies that collects the like the hairbrush. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they all kind of do the same sort of deal. Like they live in a hole somewhere and they pack it full of babies and food and they mm-hmm. live alone. And mm-hmm. um, but they all look different. Like they're so 
interesting. They they have adapted to live kind of like um like the birds that Darwin was studying. They've yeah. just adapted to live in every environment. And so they're they've evolved these slightly different traits that make them more successful at doing what they do or address the the things that need doing better and in their environment. So there's like, they're just found absolutely everywhere. They're so cool. And they're just so tiny. Like they, yeah. they almost look like a fly because they have that blue green reflective yeah. iridescent skin. Yeah. Um, and, but uh, like when you get up close to him, you you realize, oh my gosh, it's a little bee with these adorable little antennas, and right, these huge right. eyes, like, and they're so cute. Yeah, I mean, I think all bees are cute, but these ones are just like so, um, like so unaggressive and so adorable, and how they look. They're very fuzzy, like little teddy bears. Yeah, no, they. Just <laughs> yeah, so cute. So what I learned about is, so I got a bee house that's made out of cedar wood planks, and it's just, it's basically like. A bunch of it, it's a box. It's a wooden box. Okay. And then you put it at an angle so it's in a diamond shape rather than a box shape, you know. And you yeah. hang it so that the reeds that you set in it settle to the bottom of the point. Right? I see. Okay. So Am they're I explaining this. Correctly? Yeah. So basically, the opening of the tube is kind of pointing upwards at about a forty-five degree angle or something like that. Um. Yeah. Like they're they're actually level with the ground, but they um. Oh, the, the tubes the, are level with the, the ground. Yeah, the tubes are level with the ground, but the house itself oh, you hang. Oh, I see. Like, okay. Okay. So that so, it creates a, a diamond shape for the I see. So they nest into. they nest into like an mm -hmm. inverted triangle with the point yeah. down, but the length of the tube is perpendicular to the ground or right. horizontal. Yes. Yep. And that way they the just arrange themselves in the little house and they don't roll around or shift gotcha. around because gotcha. they're all settling towards the center of this point gotcha. where the, the yep. wood comes together. Um, so I have that and we hung that on a post in the yard on the fence near a bunch of sunflowers and a bunch of other stuff. And um, they they did fine. Like they were fine. You need to position them so that they're facing east or, uh, or east or southeast mm -hmm. in the morning and mm -hmm. they get full sunlight so that they can warm themselves up to fly. But during the hotter parts of the day, it's good if when the sun moves, they get into shade. And we didn't quite realize that. And I don't think it had any detrimental effect. Like I don't think they ever got overheated at our house, but um, I'm probably going to hang the house in a different place this year so that they get afternoon shade. When oh, I see. Sure. When they're when the air temperature is hot enough on its own, and they don't need direct sunlight in order to fly. Gotcha. Um. So that's something that I learned, and I think perhaps I would have had even more than ninety cocoons if I had had the house in a slightly more sheltered location. And as it was, it kind of was just standing on its own, which can weird them out a little bit. Oh, I see. Like it. It. The idea they is like, like to be a little, blended like into, in, yeah, yeah, or like up against a, the back of the house, up against a wall that's larger, or like under an eave of a house, so there's an overhang. Well, just so that it's not like totally on its own, exposed to the elements. I guess. Is. I imagine if they're temperature sensitive, um, mm -hmm. just generally camp, like camping, camping out <laughs> when they go make their tents. Um, no, but generally, like. I imagine from a behavior point of view there, it's ad advantageous to use homes that have more thermal mass around them so that mm. you don't get such wild swings in temperature. It's like yeah. if you're, you know, in the crack of a wall and there's lots of bricks in that wall, like the temperatures are not going to swing as wildly during it's the buffered, day. Yeah. And then once it starts getting cooler and cooler, like it's just going to be cool now, yep. even if you have like the occasional sunny day in the, in the middle of winter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, so I imagine there's some selectivity from their point of view of being like the most ideal home has a good thermal mass around it that, you know, yeah. like you said, like they like to be tucked away and like, you know, not a single standing reed, but rather like a bunch of, you know, or like something that's sort of packed like holes in a brick wall or something. Or mm -hmm. holes in a, yeah. yeah, so another methodology that people have used is they take um, – like blocks of wood and drill holes into them yeah and then you cut along the holes so that they're half moons uh -huh. so that when you put the two pieces of wood that you've cut together it creates a, a single hole but when you pull it apart it's two half moons you know what i'm saying like, yes like you yep. would use like with a router and so um it creates channels in the wood that are tube shaped when you have the wood pressed together and then it makes it really easy to harvest the cocoons afterwards because you just pull the blocks of wood apart and there they are whereas with the uh, reeds sure. i have to split the reeds open and hand pull out the cocoons and right, clean them. right um so it's uh the wood blocks are an interesting 
option as well. I don't have any of those. I just have the reads. And I think I'm probably just going to stick with the reads for now because they test super well. Like the the bees love them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They it's a supernatural um material that they're used to working with and it would be in the environment anyway wood is fine but it's like so much extra work to make those blocks and i'm just like eh, i'm just gonna stick with the reeds because they're not that expensive to buy right um and uh and i and i think i'll probably build almost like a hutch or like you know when you have it, like a like a billboard or like a bulletin board that people put up and they can stick stuff to it with yeah thumbtacks and things I'm basically thinking about putting that up and then putting like a little roof line over it and then putting the bee houses on that board so that I could have multiple little houses yeah. that back up to the board and that are under an overhang, but that I could like position towards the sun, the morning sun. But I'm not really sure. I'm trying to think of what I'm going to do this year. And I think I'm going to put a bunch of different houses around the yard. So the mason bees and the leafcutter bees usually only fly within a 300 foot radius of where their house is. Mm-hmm. So they're hyper local bees. Um, and uh, like, I'm not even sure that mine would visit my neighbor's house who also has apple trees because it might be too far away. Hmm. And he's only two doors down. But I, I, see. I think it's, so it's more than 300 feet. I see. Anyway, uh, the so I want to put a couple of bee houses around my yard in different places too and just see if some of them fill up better than the others. Oh, yeah. Just kind of get... Right. I see. Because I'm sure these little creatures have all kinds of particulars and peculiarities that are going to remain a complete mystery to me because they're never going to tell me these things. <laughs> right. And well, so, without you giving them a way for them to tell you, right? By like putting right. out. So yeah. I'm trying to think of like how I can talk to these bees and how they can talk back to me in ways that are understandable. Right. Um. So I, yeah. And what I'll do is I'll put out the reeds. I think it's there's a couple of different approaches to the reeds too like and the timing for example i'm pretty sure there was some overlap between the time when i had leaf cutters and the time that i had orchard bees the the Mm -hmm. mason bees Mm -hmm. because they were really close together and it didn't occur to me that i had leaf cutters until they had already filled up a tube or two and i saw the little leaf sealing up the end cap and i was like oh that's a leaf cutter there's been a leaf cutter's been here. Oh, interesting. Pretty significantly. Yeah. Because they filled up a couple of entire tubes, which means that there's a bunch of leaf cutter bees in there. Yeah. So I think what I'm going to do this year is I I can either put out a bunch of different reeds all at once and let them just get filled up over the summer and bring them all in at the end of the season. Yeah. But that seems really inexact to me. Like I'm gonna miss a lot if I just do that. I'm not gonna be able to keep track of things as closely Uh so i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna put out the mason bee reeds yeah and when the mason bees are done i'm gonna pull them all in and put out different sized reeds oh to i see for so uh, what i'm what i need to read up more and like strategize around more is exactly the timing of the swap of the nesting materials so that like i i don't want to discourage any bees from who might just show up because i haven't provided them suitable nesting materials but i also don't want to confound my results by throwing everything at the wall all at once and having to try and figure out as i go so anyway i I'm not really sure how I'm going to do this, but I need to figure out the timing of the release of the bees and the timing of bees that accidentally show up in my yard that I might be able to start working with. And Right, right. Yeah, so that's tricky. That is tricky. Um, it's so intuitive. Can you... It's all, yeah. it's all based on the timing of things I have no control over. Right. Um, can you like... I'm not really sure what I'm saying here. Like if it's so like if you're pulling in, I mean, do you have to pull in different, like, can't you just have mixed and they, they self-select where they want to bed? Yes, I can do that. Yeah. The problem is that, uh, it just gets a little messy. And like, if I want to, if I want to, 
pull the mason bee tubes that have been filled up with bees out and bring them into the house where they're really safe and won't get damaged slash eaten slash right like the longer you leave them out the more likelihood there is that birds will get to them or parasite parasitic wasps will come and raid them or things like that so if you if the goal is to preserve the bees and make sure that you have them for the next year you want to kind of bring them in as quickly as as they finish with them like when it's clear there are no more is there is no more mason bee activity you kind of want to like give them a couple of weeks to settle and then move them to someplace safe and if i start fucking with them while there's other reeds of different sizes around them and other bees using those reeds because it is now their season i will fuck with those new bees i see but i also don't want to necessarily leave the masons out and not fuck with them because then i can't control whether they get fucked with by other things right and so it's like, do I segregate the houses and only put reeds of certain sizes in certain houses and just pepper those around the yard? So like, don't intermingle the reeds so that when I do pull the mason bees, I just pull them all from the same spot in a couple of spots in my yard and doing so doesn't disturb the other sized reeds that are out there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's... I'm going to have to strategize around this, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, that's, yeah, you're going to have to strategize around that for sure. Because that's the thing that I ran into this year. I was like, oh, shit, I need to move the mason bees inside the house now to protect them. But I can't really do that because doing so means putting my hands all over nesting materials that other bees have shown up and started using, mm-hmm. which I didn't expect. I didn't I, I didn't expect to be so successful. I figured my interference would be so much of a disruption that, like, native bees wouldn't come out of the woodwork to use my stuff. They'd just stay wherever they were and I right. I gave them such a great option that they used it and then I was like oh no I don't want to get in your way now even though the mason bees are done with their season and I could put them inside doing so means that I have to interrupt or interfere with the movements and like they get like when you have a bunch of holes in a single area for them to go into it's just like an apartment building or like a condo and you need to like number the doors for them in a way mm-hmm. they get overwhelmed by the preponderance of holes and they may start a hole and not remember which hole they started and like repeat efforts in new holes and leave a bunch of half filled holes right right so you have to put out like little markers for them so that they can figure out how to navigate to the right hole and if you start moving those around after they've already begun working you will completely disorient them right right so yeah I just am trying to figure out how not to mess with more bees who might move in who i didn't put there on purpose right when i just try to like farm my own bees and this is like the this is what i'm fascinated by the whole like the arrogance to think that i am smart enough to observe all of the necessary factors and replicate them for my bees yeah and like the idea that we can just hijack or control for the entire life cycle of another thing that fits into the food web in ways we're not even conscious of. Like there's just so much here. Mm-hmm. And so I, rather than approaching this from an additive solution thing, like, Oh, what they need is more of this or more of that or whatever. I'm trying to do subtractive solutions and, and interfere with them as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is kind of playing into how I'm strategizing about I got my you. release dates and gotcha. my nesting materials and how they all live together. Right. You don't want you don't want too many of them too close together because then you run into the same problem with people. Sanitation sure. issues. Yeah. Like any kind of disease or parasite runs rampant because there's so much to go on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So there's just so many things, Ned. And I I honestly like I don't even remember how I got onto the topic of like maybe putting bees in my yard. I think I was looking into raising honeybees and I was like, this seems really onerous. Like you're Mm -hmm. dealing with 70,000 individual bees at a time. And if you fuck up, you kill all of them. Like it just, I don't want to be genocidal. Uh So like I was like daunted by the prospect of raising bees. And also like, I don't even mind getting stung and I'm not allergic, but I know getting other people to sign off on you having big bee boxes in your yard is kind of an issue. And I was just like, Oh man. And then if your swarm gets too big, they're like, bye. 
Bye. And they just take off and uh-huh. go somewhere else. Uh-huh. So I was like, for many of the same reasons as like backyard chickens, I was like, this is too much for me. I will fail and I will make these creatures miserable in the process. And the, the individual like solitary bees came up in my search for like, what do I do with my yard? Yeah. And, and all of a sudden I was like, this is it. This is the solution. In fact, why isn't this the solution for everybody trying to pollinate crops? Like, right. why is anyone using honeybees? And then I kind of went down this wormhole to the point where like, yeah. now I'm going to turn it into a whole thing at grad school. <laughs> How funny. I know, right? <sighs> That's so strange. It's not... Um, I, surely like people are there's like some research programs going on about like crop pollination efficiency yes and- there are like the u of m is a big ag school other okay. big ag schools like U university of washington i think yeah osu right no oregon state university oregon state OSU. university yeah I Oregon there. State University have done that's right. Yeah. They've done a ton of research on orchard mason bees. Oh, interesting. So I've got like all kinds of their stuff bookmarked. They've got um they've got like courses that they teach, I'm pretty sure. I think they also do permaculture and this like fits right in with permaculture. I I've decided I'm not going like super crazy permaculture on my yard, but I'm not doing anything to my yard that would violate principles of permaculture. Mm-hmm. So that I'm moving towards that and my whole, the whole layout with the yard is to have fruit trees that support animals and insects and then plants growing around those fruit trees that would normally be found growing around those fruit trees. Okay. And I'm creating like a little ecosystem in my yard that's self-sustaining and then I will grow plants that I can use for pest management and um and uh stuff like that in the yard and then convert that into um like outputs like fertilizer and right um and weed control and other things and so the it i'm kind of like making a little cell like i'm thinking about this biologically what is the smallest unit of things that are self-sustaining if i build them into my yard well that's um that's pretty cool that's our like so how could um how could like if i wanted to do this like how could i get do something like this at home like if i wanted to start yeah. doing it like at my house like do I, I need to get different bees than yours yes you might have to get different bees so all of the mason bees seem to work in almost all of the environments like you can put them anywhere and they'll be just fine yeah um there's like I there's like mason bees that are like Osmia texana and uh, like Osmia, um, like they're na- you know they're named after all different types of environments they grow in. Like the texana ones are obviously Texan bees. Um, there's also mountain species that live out like in the Rocky Mountains that are a little bit different than the ones that are found on the plains in Minnesota and things like that. So how to get your hands on the actual native bees that live in these places would be uh, my suggestion would be to set out bee nesting materials and in essence just trap wild bees because if you order them from online bee sellers which Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of them there's crown bees and by trap you just mean encourage the housing of yeah right Yeah. yeah you just you encourage them to live in your little reeds and once they put their babies there and die you're you're left either you or the great outdoors is left with a bunch of baby bees in a tube. Right. And you can either leave them and just let them live as if you had never been involved, or you can take them and do what I do and put them in your house and then eventually pull the reed open when you know that they're adult bees because of the timing. Right. Right. They've had time to develop and then you just clean them. And the reason you clean them is because they can have parasites. And so you're just, again, you're interfering in a way that you wouldn't normally interfere in order to increase the chances that they survive by eliminating pests and cleaning Mm -hmm. the cocoons and making sure that they don't get too moldy and all these things. Um, And you're fussing over them, you know, fuss, fuss, fuss. But every fuss is an interruption and a distraction and a, and a, you're perturbing them. You're like interfering with them a little bit. Um, So, yeah, I would say like, if you... Like if you go online, Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of if you let's take Amazon, for example, if you go to Amazon, you can find a bunch of stuff that's like backyard bees or like mason bees. But most of the stuff that's there is not. It's air sats. It looks to a human like oh it's a bunch of reeds in a thing. They all all of these things here are a bunch of reeds in a thing, right? Yeah, right. But to the bees, they're very different. For example, people will like use bamboo for the reeds but they don't like the bamboo 
they it's not something that they would normally encounter they wouldn't normally use it as a nesting material I see. they'll use it in a pinch but then getting the cocoons back out again is a problem right um right. so it's just not ideal they might it, it it can be bad for them um because it's not what they would choose they're being forced to work with something that's subpar or not ideal so another thing is they a lot of places will sell like blocks of wood that just have holes that are six inches deep drilled into them but if you can't crack them open one thing that will happen is the bees will emerge after a year of living in those solid blocks Mm -hmm. but they they will leave behind a bunch of crud and any bees who try to use that a second year in a row will run into parasites and a bunch of like detritus. I get you. And sure. they would probably avoid it if they had another choice. But if you put it out and it's there, they're on a real limited timeline. So they're going to take what they can get. And um, you're just kind of like increasing the likelihood that they're going to run into problems. I get you. In, right. in the course of living their lives. And so there's a lot of like unsuitable shit out there that there, people are selling on the internet that looks really cute or looks like it would work, but for reasons that are maybe unknown to people at the outset um, are just not great for the project and not great for supporting bees. So if you. you're going to buy bee stuff, I would go to like the actual bee people. So like crown right. bees, um, masonbeesforsale.com. Um, like it's, it's these people know what they're doing and they have suitable materials for sale at the site and they have a lot of education that they post as well, which is a good sign mm-hmm. um, because they want to be successful and they don't want people harming a bunch of bees for no reason. Sure. So you can get started like crown bees, for example, has this cute little rectangular tube that you can put just a tiny handful of reeds in Mm -hmm. and you can mount that to a fence or a post or like right under an eave in your house or something like that and it's just tiny so maybe like four or five reeds fit in it Mm -hmm. and it's just there in case bees want to show up and use it and it's like super entry level just a tiny little house you can just put out a couple of reeds in like you know something like a toilet paper roll Okay. Something of that diameter. Yeah. Um, but maybe made out of a more durable material. Like, ah, I hate to say PVC because it's so polluting to make it, but I get you. just some kind of a sleeve to hold the reeds and keep yeah. them sheltered from rain and wind and mount that anywhere. Like literally stick it on the side of a thing, like a side of a tree, hang it in a tree, stick it on a fence, whatever. The bees will show up. They like to be about five feet off the ground. Okay. And I would say like, you want to Google flowers that have nectar and pollen mm-hmm. and then find those flowers and put them in your yard so that the bees have something to eat. Or if you have fruit trees. So in many ways, like starting this from scratch would be to plant food for them first. And I would attract, do that first. attract the naturally existing ones in your environment and then, yeah. and then take the step of like promoting their propagation by providing better housing, et cetera. That seems to be the most fail-safe way to me because if you're relying on natural bees to self-select your environment, they will not show up until you have an environment that they appreciate. So instead of buying a bunch of bees and trying to force them to live in your cement patio. Yes. um, Like try and make the patio attractive to native bees. Sure. Will then show up. And when you see signs of them, you can supplement them by either putting nesting materials out and keeping the babies and putting them out the following year in in effect, trapping them, trapping native bees. Or you can buy some from like crown bees or whoever and get them. Right sent to you and put them out and supplement your naturally occurring populations of bees. But I definitely would advocate that, you know, like this is the same argument, I guess, for diversity and inclusion, except it's for a Uh non-human. Like you can't beg them to show up if you have nothing to offer them when they get there. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So if you're trying to diversify the types of creatures that visit you, give them something to show up for and they will show up. Right, (laughs) right. Be a good host. Um, Yeah, but they're really great for kids too because they're utterly fascinating to watch. They're super gentle. Like I said, they don't have stingers. They're never defensive. Right. They're just really cool and they'll land on you. They'll like ride around on you. 
Um, they're How great. Funny. And they're so fun to watch. And if you hang them at like, you know, five or so feet off the ground, you and you walk up to them, they are not bothered by you observing what they're doing. So they'll come and go and you can watch them build their little tube houses and like see them doing their work. And, uh-huh. and they are just fine with you being there. So you can put them, you know, like I, I we had one of the little bee houses on our patio right by our back door. Uh huh. And they never got in the house. Like they never got confused or like, you uh-huh. know? right. Um, they just came and went and it was utterly fascinating to watch them. How funny. Yeah. And I just think that this is like, this is so easy to do. And because they are hyper local bees, putting their stuff everywhere is a really good idea. They're, they're, you're not putting all of your eggs in one basket like you are with honeybees where you lose a colony of 70,000 individuals if the weather is bad or they get mites, you know? Right, like, right. It's a much, um, like you're building s- resilience and redundancy into the like food web and the life cycle of your immediate surroundings which is really cool yeah to survival yeah yeah um i don't know it's really fascinating i would be uh it actually this reminds me if uh if you're listening to this podcast episode and you have thoughts or comments or know anything about bees or have more questions um you should email us because we do like to hear from people. Yeah. And we have an email address and that's uh, our CEO and founder of this podcast, Dana. And that's D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. And that's right. if you uh, send emails to that email address, we will, she'll forward your email to us if it's relevant or she'll triage it or whatever. Um, and we'll, we'll get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that was we talked about bees for like an hour. Yeah. Look at that. Woo. Woo. Um, and actually with that, I do have to uh go back go and back be to a, your, your my life. day job. Yeah. Um <laughs> yeah. I mean, I much prefer spending my lunch hour doing this than almost anything. So it's pretty fun. You have to go be a worker bee. Yeah, I gotta go be a worker bee, indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have to go read for school. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, anyway, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, I don't think we have any like extra. We, I, I do want to point out that we do need to get back to doing colors of the day. Um, yes. I've had requests from uh, some of our listeners recently. It's one of our best features. It is one of our best features. So um, I definitely was thinking about how we should try and do that. I also, yes. it occurred to me, we should try to like, I I do like putting it at the end just because it's like something to look forward to, but I also hate burying the lead, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but people can fast forward to whatever they want, so you know it's not like it's not like we're keeping it hidden or whatever. Um, Truth. But anyway, we'll we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yes, I would love to do more colors of the day. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, let's maybe that can be a goal for next week since this week we've <sighs> had the excellent goal of publishing back catalog and also getting the. Uh, new episodes out so that's right right. we've been doing good yeah all right anyway that's all i got okay 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 bye